looking at this book for the first six months. And if you're the kind of person that likes to take notes, there are little uh, journaling Bibles in the, in the lobby just with the book of Hebrews. You're welcome to take those. They're free, and you can write in them as much as you want. So the first six months of the year, we're going through this book of Hebrews. And just want to set the stage, remind you of our framework, so you can keep in mind and what's going on as we're working our way through this book. If you need a tagline for the book of Hebrews, a one-statement tagline for the book, here it is. The power of an indestructible life. That's how Jesus is described. He has the power of an indestructible life. And I really like that. I want an indestructible life. And what Hebrews is telling us is that Jesus' life is indestructible, and that if I have him, then I have an indestructible life. Three. I mentioned to you that there are three big warnings in this book, and that instead of preaching one sermon on each of the warnings when we get to it, we're incorporating each of those warnings into the section that we're in. So I wanted to tell you what those warnings are, just so you won't be confused about what we're talking about. So the first warning is found in chapter two, the first four verses. We've talked about it every week so far throughout chapter one. And that first warning is that there's a danger of drifting in our lives. The second warning is found in chapter three. We're not there yet, but when we get there, you'll know it. And that is the warning of just being lazy. And third, the third warning of the book is in chapter five, I think. And it is the warning of being naive. All right? So those are the three warnings that we struggle with spiritually. We struggle with drifting. We struggle with being lazy. And we struggle with just being naive. And the counter of each of those is glorious, right? So instead of drifting, we need to fixate on Jesus. And that's what we've been talking about quite a bit of in application. And instead of being lazy, we need to endure. Instead of being naive, the challenge is for us to be discerning and growing in discernment. So this morning I'm going to read um, the first uh, part of chapter 2. And oh, before I do that, don't forget our six statements. Don't forget our six statements. I'm not going to do this every week, but just to remind you, this is to build up your gospel reflex uh, so that as you face things this week that you're not expecting, maybe you can remember these six things. Maybe you'll see them in the book. So here they are. Uh, Jesus is better. Love is hard. Life is full of ups and downs. Our hearts are restless until we find rest in Jesus. I didn't make that one up. I borrowed that from somebody. Warnings are wake-up calls. We always need realignment. Warnings are wake-up calls. We always need realignment. And last, Jesus is enough. He's not only better, he's enough. Listen to this from Hebrews chapter two. Here are the first four verses to remind you of what we talked about each week so far. And then starting in chapter five, starting in verse five through verse nine, that's what we're gonna be focusing on today. So listen to this. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it. Warning number one. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, 
And it was, it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witnesses, witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. For, this is the new part we're going to think about today, for it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Let's pray together. Lord, we do ask that you would help us to understand these words, that you would uh, write their eternal truths on our hearts, that you would mold us and shape us in accordance with your word, the truth, the gospel. Um, Would you keep us from thinking that um, when we come to worship, we can just check our brains at the door? Would you keep us from thinking that we're here just to get little tips on how to live life? Would you remind us in brand new ways that we need to be constantly transformed? Our minds need to be constantly renewed, that, that we need to be transformed by what you tell us. We need to live different. We need to understand who we are and understand Jesus more deeply. Jesus, we need, we need you. So, Lord, I, I guess what I'm saying is uh, help us know again and again that we don't so much need a sermon as we do a Savior. And we pray in his name. Amen. Have you ever felt like something in your life was just off? Have you ever had that feeling? Maybe, it now, maybe right now when you're at work, just something doesn't feel right. Something's just off. Maybe in a relationship that you've been in or one that you're currently in, something was just off. Maybe it's a decision that you've made. And as you think back over that decision because you're, have to living, you're having to live with the consequences of that decision, and maybe as you're thinking about that decision and what life feels like having made that decision, things just feel a little off. Or maybe, maybe, maybe you came here this morning and you just feel off, like internally something isn't right. Something maybe you can't express very well, or there's just, there's just something that doesn't seem right. It just seems off. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, or if you're experiencing that even now, but sometimes there are things in our lives that just seem off. They just feel disjointed. Do you know what I'm talking about? Well, I want you to see that this passage starts by telling us that something is off. When you look at verses five and six and seven and eight, God is telling us that something is off. So we're gonna think about that to start off with. We're gonna start thinking about something is off. Then we're gonna move to something else, and I'll tell you that when we get there. So when you look at these verses five through eight, it's telling us something is just 
not right. Something's off. And here's what it is. Beloved, this is how you were created. You were created with status, and you were created with destiny. And let me tell you what that status is. Look at verse 5 and following. Uh, You were created, human beings, just below angels in the order of creation. That's who you are. That's your status. Then on the pecking order of the universe, you're just below angels. You're superior to them in some ways. You have a soul that lives forever and you're embodied. And God has put you there. That's who you are. Now, don't you love it when you read this and you um, see the human author who says, you know, somewhere it says, did you notice that in verse five? I love it when that happens in the Bible. You know, somewhere it says this. Well, it's Psalm 8, but I know we didn't really have those things in print until, you know, a few hundred years ago. But the author is writing, he's remembering something that God has said. And it's back in the Psalms. And it's saying, you have this particular status. And not only that, but you have a destiny. Do you know what your destiny is? That you would rule over everything. How about that? It's not really easy to take that in, is it? We, we, we oftentimes settle for so much less. But the way that God set up the world, he created human beings, he created us a little lower than the angels, and he created us to rule over everything. That's our destiny. But you know what? When you look around, do you see creation really in subjection to us? When you you look around, do you see that things are in decent order and control? Do you you see that, that we are, as human beings, having rightful dominion and control over everything that God's created? Do you see that happening? Nope. Something is off, isn't it? Something is off. We are not functioning in a way that we should be, in the way that we will be one day. Something is really off. But you know what? Identifying that something is off and that we're not doing and functioning in a way that we should, we're not being who we should be, this also is tied into this warning that is mentioned in the first four verses of chapter two. This warning of drifting that we've been talking about for a few weeks. Let me me tell you how. Something is off and we can see it and experience it, but it's also tied to us drifting. For the last couple weeks, we've talked about this idea of drifting in this way. It's a lot easier to just drift through life, isn't it? It's not, it is, it is really hard to fixate on Jesus. It's a whole lot easier just to drift our way through life. We are so captivated by so many things that are less than Jesus. We are easily captivated by our jobs, our careers, uh, uh, pursuing financial things, uh, chasing experiences, There are so many things that are just so much more captivating to us than Jesus. And we all struggle with that, all of us. We drift, we drift away from Jesus. But here's another way that we drift. We drift by settling for lesser destinies. You ever thought about that? Beloved, 
You were made to rule creation. You were made to rule everything on God's behalf, reflecting his glory everywhere, organizing things, managing things, helping things flourish, being uh, just in an unjust world, compassionate in a compassionless world. You were made to reflect God in everything, in all ways. But so often, we settle for things that are just so much less. You know, the pursuit of what we think we can get with our money just seems like a better destiny. If we can just get everybody to approve of who we are and love us and get the support that we need, we just feel as though that's really what life, that's really what would make life worth living. We settle for these destinies that are so much less than what God says they should be. And of course, there's nothing wrong with having a career, there's nothing wrong with pursuing financial things, nothing wrong with having great experiences, nothing wrong with those at all. But when they become the focus of our lives and the focus of our hearts, we're settling for a destiny that is far below what God has for us. When those things become the ultimate thing, guess what? We're always chasing something, and we always come back empty because that experience that we had, that we always wanted, we had it, and then you know what? It's not as great as we actually hoped it would be, or it doesn't last as long as we want it to. We ever reach our financial goals? Guess what? Can't take any of it with us. Sometimes we have the the hope of a lesser destiny of just getting the most toys can't take those with us either. And the approval that we have from other people, the, those people that we really want approval from, living as if that is, is a glorious destiny to have the approval of these people and for these people to think highly of us, guess what? That can change in an instant, can it? I bet you've experienced that too. You got the approval of that person, then something happened and it's not there anymore, and now what? Crushed. It's a lesser destiny. You see, this passage doesn't just tell us that that things are off. It actually gives us the solution. So look at verse 9 with me. This passage gives us the solution, and no surprise, who do you think the solution is? (laughs) Jesus. But I want to show you that verse 9 through the rest of this chapter lays out for us Jesus in very creative and very practical ways. And we're only going to talk about the first one this week. Next week, we're going to talk about the next two ways that Jesus has presented to us. The first way that we're focusing on this week is this. Jesus is the king that we don't deserve. You know what the solution to things being off is? Jesus. Do you know how he's the solution to things being off? Well, way number one is this. He's the king that we don't deserve. Now, real quick. Do you know what kind of king we deserve? We deserve a king who is angry and frustrated with us. That's what we deserve. And you know why this king should be angry and frustrated with us? Because he knows that we are constantly trying to find ways to overthrow him. No one else has that in their life? Is that just me? We deserve a king that's angry 
and that is frustrated because he knows that those that he's ruling over are always trying to overthrow him and that we have a tendency to think that we know better. So things happen in our lives and we immediately begin, well, if God, if he only knew this about me, then he would have done something different. We have this sense of thinking that we know better than God. That's why we struggle when hardship comes and when pain comes. Because deep down, we think we've earned something. And when something doesn't go the way we want, we get really, really frustrated. We deserve a king that knows that we want him off of the throne. And we, we should have a king that knows that and acts in a way that is consistent with that. At least the way that we think it should be, right? But let me press this even further. In your little spheres of influence, wherever you are at home, at work, in your relationship, whatever it is, what kind of king are you right now? Oh, the, the answer, I'm not a king anywhere, is not the right answer. I'm saying with the responsibilities that God has given you, with the responsibilities that you have, what kind of king are you? My hunch is that you can have a tendency to be a king that wants to serve self. I want things my way. I want my timing. I want everyone to agree with me. I don't want anybody to threaten me. Beloved, we have the king that we don't deserve. Do you know what these, this verse tells us about the king we don't deserve? Just look at it. This king was humble. Remember that quote from Psalm 8? Mankind was made a little lower than the angels, crowned with glory and honor. Well, Jesus was the humble king. And what did he do? He humbled himself and made himself a little lower than the angels. God left heaven and took on human form and became man. Jesus became a man. He humbled himself. And that means, that means that he decided to be born into the thing that he created. That's humility. He made himself under and accountable to the laws that he set up. Jesus is the great lawgiver, the one who has set everything in motion, and he made himself under and accountable to those laws that he set up. And the rebellion and brokenness in the world that broke his heart, he came, humbled himself. He came to identify with that rebellion and brokenness. We have a humble king. This is not a king that we deserve. And this text also tells us that he's not only humble, it tells us that he was crowned because of his suffering. Do you see that in verse nine? He was crowned because of his suffering. He didn't get the crown because he has greater power than everyone else, although he does. 
He wasn't crowned because he has the greatest military that just smashed other people, although he could. He was crowned because of suffering. You see, the story of Jesus is not the story of um, someone that rises from relative obscurity. At some point in their lives, they discover their superpower, and at just the right minute, they utilize that superpower and rescue good people and make it out, barely make it out, but make it out alive. Beloved, that's not the story of Jesus. The story of Jesus is the greatest story. It's the story of God taking on human form and coming and suffering and dying and bearing the weight of sin and enduring holy justice from God. He suffered agony, pain, crucifixion, and because of that, he was crowned. Because of that, he is king. The king we don't deserve is not only humble, but he also is crowned because of his suffering. And that means that he was glorified for what he went through. When, do you remember the week that we call Holy Week? Sometimes you've heard that term before. You can read about it in John 12. It's the week that Jesus entered Jerusalem, like the week leading up to his death. If you read John 12, what you find in that chapter is that there are some who come and uh, are associated with, or are talking to people who are associated with Jesus. And they come to those people and they say, um, sir, we, we would see Jesus. We, we want to see Jesus. And they eventually make it to Jesus. And you know what Jesus says? The hour has come, which is code word for time to go to the cross. But Jesus says this, the hour has come. It's time for the Son of Man to be glorified. There was glory in Jesus' suffering. And because of his suffering, he was given a crown. And here's what else the text tells us about this king that we don't deserve. It says that he is full of grace. Do you see that in verse 9? It's not just that he humbled himself and made himself a little lower than the angels. It's not just that he was crowned because of his suffering. It's that his humility and being glorified and being crowned are connected to this idea of grace. That he tasted death for everyone. Do you see that in verse 9? It's right there. Tasted death for everyone. This king that we don't deserve tasted death. Sometimes when you're sitting around the dinner table with your family or friends or you're out on a Friday night or Saturday night, whatever it is, I bet you've had the experience of sitting down with your friends, whoever it may be, and someone has ordered something that you didn't. And they think that it tastes amazing. And they're like, hey, try some of this. And, and maybe you take their glass and, and, and just a little sip, right? Take a little sip, take a little bite, and give it back. I want to tell you, this is not saying that Jesus took the little sip of death. He tasted it. He ingested it. 
He knows what it's like not only to die, but he knows what it's like in the process of dying. How many of us are maybe not so much afraid of death as they are of dying? Jesus has done both. He's tasted that for you, for me. It means that in grace, he has entered in. It means that in tasting death, he's done it for others. And that is incredibly graceful. That he would be willing to taste death, to suffer, to die, to know the experience of dying for other people on their behalf. Beloved, that is, that is a king that we don't deserve. That would be willing to do that? Over the last couple years, we've kind of been on a journey together, haven't we? You know about my health problems. You know about my two major surgeries. Well, let me tell you, as someone who doesn't like having medical stuff done to them, it was not easy for me. One of the hardest things was being in the surgical bay twice. It was really hard sitting in there. Jenny can attest to this. The first, the first surgery I had, uh, sitting in the, in, the, in the bay, getting ready to be wheeled into the operating room, um, the doctors can give you something that helps take the edge off a little bit, okay? I don't remember the name of the drug. Uh, so they gave me the first, you know, bloop, nothing. The nurse was like, well, how are you feeling? I don't feel any different whatsoever. Let me tell you, I was amped. I was whew, so nervous. I was really scared. Gave me another hit. She said, now usually when I give the second one, people are starting to slur their words and you know, starting to kind of go in and out a little bit. A couple minutes later, how's you feel? Nothing. <laughs> so she hit me with a third one. Nothing. Until right before I was starting to get, literally I was entering the room and I started feeling it. I didn't know what was gonna happen in that room. I didn't know if I was going to see Jenny again. I didn't know if I was going to see my kids again. I didn't know what I was going to hear on the other end if I made it through. I didn't know how successful things were going to be. I didn't know how I would be different after having surgery. And then I had to do it again a year later. I didn't know what in the world was going on. I was scared to death. I was terrified. Do you know what? Jesus has been in the surgical bay. He got sent to a place where he was cut up, bruised, beaten. He knows what it's like to face death and dying. He's been there. That's what makes verse 9 so powerful. Did you catch it? But we see him, right? We see Jesus. So my question is for you, after everything we've been talking about so far, let me try to press it in and just say the same things in a different way. Do you see Jesus? Do you see Jesus? Do you see that he was humble for you? Do you see that he was crowned with glory because of his suffering for you? 
Do you see that he did all of this for you in your place? And that is unbelievable grace. So can you spot the counterfeit message? The counterfeit gospel that's telling you over and over, you just need to be better, you just need to work harder? Because this is telling you that Jesus is the Savior. That he's been exactly where you are and he's done everything that you need. And therefore he can be gracious to you. You see, do you see Jesus? Do you behold him in what he has done? Or has his life and death and resurrection just become boring? Do you, are you captivated by someone who made heaven and earth that decided to be born into that? The person who set up the laws to, be, to live a life under those laws and accountable to those laws? For you, Jesus, maybe to say it this way, he got involved. Involved. He became involved in your life. Which means to be involved is um, to make yourself vulnerable. To be involved with something is to be accountable. To be involved is to take responsibility. To be involved is to put aside some comfort and to be willing to be made uncomfortable. To be involved, all that Jesus did is to be willing to go in places that are not safe. You see, that's all that Jesus did in being the king that we don't deserve. He got involved. And as you understand and as you connect your life with what he has done, guess what? It'll transform you and transform me into being the kind of people that want to be involved, that are living our lives, being willing to go to places that maybe aren't really safe. We're willing to be uncomfortable. We're willing to be vulnerable with others Open, honest, vulnerable, truthful, vulnerable. We're willing to take responsibility. That's involvement. Willing to be accountable. That's involvement. You see, to see that Jesus has done all that for you, that's the only thing that will transform you into be willing and able and desirous of functioning like Jesus in our everyday lives. And beloved, that's what brings us to the table.